This morning's text comes to us once again from the book of 2 Kings. Last week, we left Elisha in the city of Jericho after he witnessed Elijah being taken up to heaven. And this week, we'll pick up where we left off. So that's in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And this is the beginning of Elisha's prophetic ministry. But before we hear God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our utmost concern. As we receive your word this morning, may we truly allow it to impact our lives in powerful ways for the sake of your kingdom. Give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, hearts to seek you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Uh, As part of our weekly staff rhythm, we at North Holland engage the preaching text during our time of devotions, and we wonder together what message God has in store for us and for our people. So this past week, we used a a spiritual practice that was introduced to our congregation during Advent, uh, Lectio Divina. When using Lectio Divina, you listen to or you read the scripture, and you notice what words or phrases stick out to you. So if you're doing this in a group, like per se on a staff at North Holland, you can take a turn and share that word or phrase around the circle. No commentary about why this word or why this phrase, just naming this particular word or this particular phrase stood out to me. So as you receive our text this morning, I invite you to take on that spiritual practice. Whether you're listening or reading along, pay attention to the word or to the phrase that resonates with you. Don't worry about the why, just notice and allow God to speak to your heart. Let's turn to 2 Kings 2, 19 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. The people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word of the Lord Elijah had spoken. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. These are the words and phrases that Pastor Stephen, Sharon, Vicki, Jennifer, and Jed and I all noticed. I didn't tell them I was going to do this, but I think they'll be okay. I won't say who, but I will say the what. From verse 19, here's what we noticed. Well-situated. Unproductive. From verse 21, we noticed... I have healed this water. And from verse 22, we noticed pure, to this day, and according to the word. I wonder if some of you notice those same words or phrases. As our Lectio Divina process ended, the staff spent some time reflecting on their selection, sharing why they mattered, 
to each of us. And indeed, there is a lot to be said about these words or phrases. Think about the weightiness of some of them. Unproductive. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Pure. The Bible has a lot to say about that. According to the word. We know the Bible has a lot to say about that. We've been thinking about the word of the Lord these past weeks. But here are the words I believe and I hope God is inviting our community to notice today. I have healed this water. I have healed this water. Healing matters a lot in Scripture. Water matters a lot in Scripture. But what a unique phrase. I have healed this water, says the Lord. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Water can be healed. This is an important creational miracle in Scripture. What I immediately notice in the phrase, I have healed the water, is this. There is restoration going on here because God is in the business of restoration. That's number one. And number two, this restoration is for the water. Not just for humanity. This restoration is for the water. For reasons unknown to us, the reader, the water is bad, and God is so moved to restore. Once the water is restored, restoration springs forth from it. The land that soaks it up can be restored. The animals and the people that drink of it can be restored. God is healing the water, and restoration can't help but have this sort of ripple effect, like dropping a stone into a pond. When it was healthy... This water was a powerful spring in Jericho that could produce a 1,000 gallons of water per minute, which sounds impressive to me. It could be the primary source of life for the people and the creatures and agriculture of Jericho, but because it was bad, the land became shakol. Shakol, meaning it was unfruitful, bereaved, unproductive. The Hebrew word shakol used to describe the land, can also be translated as miscarry, a sense of emptiness, a sense of a lack of life. The concepts of shakol, the sort of unfaithfulness, or unfruitfulness, very different, the sense of unfruitfulness and unproductivity and restoration both have ripple effects, so to speak. If you were to drop a stone of restoration into the water, it would give way to waves of restoration. If you were to drop a shakol stone onto the water, it would give way to waves of shakol, to unfruitfulness, to unproductivity. Restoration produces restoration, produces restoration. Shakol produces shakol, produces shakol. Our scriptures care so much about the type of fruit that Christians are producing because of this ripple effect idea. The fruit is the external evidence of the internal truth. The fruit that we produce reflects the type of tree we are. Are the fruits you are producing restorative or are they shakol? Are they unproductive, unfruitful? What does that communicate about what's at the center? Restoration is one of the fruits we as Christian disciples are called to produce. And according to the Gospel of Mark, that restoration is for all of creation. 
Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the gospel, God's message of restoration and reconciliation. God is in the business of restoration. God gave Elisha the burden of taking on that call, and it was for the water. Elisha emptied a bowl of salt into the Jericho spring, and from that day on, the water was made pure. For those of you in the room who hear the word salt and connect it to other places in Scripture, you are right to do so. The original hearers of this text would have done that as well. There's the familiar, you are the salt of the earth, from the salt and light text in Matthew 5. But there are also rich Old Testament ties to salt in Leviticus and Numbers, Second Chronicles and Ezekiel. Salt is a metaphor for change, transformation, restoration, offering, covenant. Salt. We know that salt fundamentally, fundamentally changes the flavor of food. Without salt, everything is bland. But with salt, the best flavor food has to offer can be achieved. Without salt, the water in Jericho was, was bland, even bad, and its ripple effect was shakol. With salt, the purest water could be achieved. So Elisha used salt, a symbol of offering, of covenant, and restoration to heal the water. That is no coincidence, because salt is the sign of a promise. And the promise for the water was that it would never cause death or make the land unproductive ever again. Thanks be to God, the water was healed and all of Jericho was impacted by the ripple effect of that restoration. Because restoration gives way to restoration, which gives way to restoration. A really important organization that is taking on some of Elisha's work in our area quite literally, is Project Clarity. Their goal is to restore the water quality of Lake Makatawa and of the Makatawa watershed. And they've partnered with um, Grand Valley, with Hope, with the Outdoor Discovery Center, and other organizations from Holland and Zealand to accomplish their mission. Most all of us, um, I was looking at a map, most all of us live on top of the Makatawa watershed. And this is the body of land whose water empties into Lake Makatawa. And therefore, the work of this organization really impacts our neighborhoods and our communities. Project Clarity is one of many modern-day examples of participating in God's call to creational restoration. Lake Makatawa is like the spring in Jericho, and it pushes us to consider where God is calling us today to reconciliation with and for all of creation, Where does God want us to begin that restorative ripple effect? According to the scripture, we share a lot with creation. We hope through Christ with creation. We praise God with creation. We suffer with creation. And we anticipate God's future work with creation. Romans 8 says the creation waits in eager expectation Ephesians 2 says, all things in heaven and on earth are brought together under one head. All things, and the head is Christ. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Leviticus 19 says, even the land is defiled. Even the land is punished for its sin. 
Isaiah 35 says, the desert and the parched land will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. The creation is an active character in the biblical narrative. Yes, humanity's garden call in the Genesis account is to steward creation, but most importantly, all created things are working together for God's glory. Our mandate is to maintain shalom and restoration. When we think of water and of creational restoration, an important sacrament always comes to mind. Baptism. Baptism, a sign and seal of God's promise to forgive our sins, to adopt us into the body of Christ, to send the Holy Spirit daily to renew and to cleanse us, to resurrect us to eternal life, all by grace alone. When we read our baptismal liturgy, we hear these words. Water cleanses and purifies, refreshes, sustains. Jesus Christ is the living water. Through baptism, Christ calls us to new obedience, to love and trust God completely, to forsake the evil of the world, and to live a new and holy life. Water is our reminder that we are claimed for a purpose. Water is our reminder that we have been restored and are being restored, and we are called to labor and restoration for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the creation. Water is our reminder that life can spring up when there is none, like in Jericho. Remember with me that Elijah, Elijah began his ministry in famine, according to the word of the Lord, way back in 1 Kings 16. But even before Elijah, Jericho had its own curses to reconcile. Those of you who know Veggie Tales know, keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking, because you isn't going to fall. It's a story of Jericho. I grew up with it. I love that song. It comes from Joshua 6. Joshua and the people knock down the walls of Jericho, but this ends in a curse. Joshua 6:26 says this. At that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. Joshua curses the one who rebuilds Jericho. Their oldest and their youngest sons will die. And sure enough, in 1 Kings 16, Hiel of Bethel rebuilds Jericho, and his sons, his oldest and his youngest, die at the cost of the foundation and at the cost of the gate. Pastor Stephen preached on this text in its surrounding context way back in our first uh, sermon of this Word of the Lord series. So this restoration of the water in 2 Kings 2 is the next big moment for Jericho. The city was well situated. It had fertile soil and a good climate. But of course, this is useless without good water. And Elisha, whose ministry is rooted in life and in restoration, imparts that upon Jericho's spring. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make this land unproductive. Restoration produces restoration, produces restoration. As disciples of God, we partner with creation to bring about restoration for God's glory. Yesterday, I had the honor of hosting a conversation with some of the members of our Christian and youth and adult discipleship teams, as well as the Ritter teams and with the elders here. And we talked about our vision of discipleship here at North Holland. 
We began our time together with a quote from a man named Chris Shirley, who is a theologian, and I'd like to share with you that quote. Chris Shirley says, Everyone who expresses faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior becomes a disciple, and by implication begins a lifelong, spirit-led journey of growth and formation in the likeness of the one whom they follow. Chris Shirley goes on to observe that whether it's intentional or unintentional, churches can teach a separation between Christians and disciples. Christians are people who accept Jesus as their Savior, those who receive eternal life and are safe and secure in the family of God. That is also true of disciples, but they are the more serious ones who are active in the practice of spiritual disciplines, who are engaged in evangelizing and training others, etc., etc. So we have Christians on the one hand, and we have disciples on the other. Well, friends, there is no separation of Christian and disciple in the scriptures. We are Christian disciples. We are saved for a purpose. It is abundantly clear in today's text, that there is restorative work to be done in us and in the creation. And like Elisha, we are charged with picking up that work for the sake of Christ. In his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said this, But you were washed with the water. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labor is not in vain. This morning we celebrate Caleb's profession of faith and how fitting is it that our God of restoration would invite us to remember our restorative calling as Christian disciples on this day. Caleb has received the promises first claimed over him in baptism and in so doing promised to give himself fully to the work of the Lord and to the church. In response, congregation, you promised to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord as God is revealing it in our brother Caleb and in your own lives and ministry. And indeed, restoration produces restoration, which produces restoration as we share in this discipling work together. God is in the business of restoration, and he calls us to take that on. But perhaps you resonate more with the water than with the prophet. Perhaps today you stand in need of healing. Perhaps you know all too well that shakol, unproductive, unfruitful feeling. And perhaps you feel trapped in that pattern of shakol giving way to shakol giving way to shakol. Maybe you have been waiting for God's restorative touch in your life. Perhaps you feel lifeless or lost or unnoticed, anxious or uncertain. So I give you the words of Psalm 13 because you are not alone. The psalmist felt similarly and wrote, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fail. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The psalmist cries out, How long, O Lord? One day I will trust again in your unfailing love and rejoice in your salvation and in your restoration, but that day is not today. Will you forget me forever? Perhaps you sit with the psalmist this morning. The narrator of our text from 2 Kings 2 is not concerned with why the water got to where it's at, why the water got to this Shekol place. We don't know what made the water bad exactly or whose fault it was exactly. We don't know how long it had been that the water was this way. We don't know exactly what the psalmist experienced that pushed them to this place of desperation and fear. But what we do know is that God saw the water. God saw the water's potential for restoration. It was not too bad. It was not too irredeemable or lifeless. It was not too shakol. God. God saw that the water needed restoring, and that was all that mattered. God sees us and knows that we are in need of restoring. And wow, that matters to God. It matters enough to send his son to die for you. It matters enough to send the spirit of God to empower you. It matters enough to offer you a life everlasting that starts right now. You matter. You do. You matter. You do. Jesus, the living water, once said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So all of you who are thirsty and all of you who are weak, you are invited to come to receive God's restorative power and to take that with you into the creation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? God, you are the one who restores. You are the one who fills, the one who is life. In your great grace, love, and mercy, you have given life to us and to your world. What an amazing gift. What an incredible responsibility you have charged us with to live into restorative patterns in our own lives and in relationship with your creation. God, as we consider this important and evident truth in Scripture, we know that creation and creation care is an important conversation in our world today. Give us the courage, God, to continue the conversation and to explore your restorative will in all its fullness, though we might feel the tension of this conversation politically and socially and religiously. Give us courage, God. Give us eyes to see those in our midst who are in need of your restorative touch and a passion for wholeness and life for each and every member of our community. All this we ask in your holy and precious name. Amen.